Welcome back to After the Buzzer Sports Talk, and I'm your host, Aiden Mayer. Alright guys, welcome back for another episode. Uh, Sorry for no episode these past three days. I can't believe it's been three days. Uh, I'm really sorry. That doesn't happen a lot. I know it's happened a few times. I've been busy this week. I told you I had basketball camp. So, I mean, like Wednesday I had basketball and then I had doubleheader after basketball camp and then doubleheader and the doubleheader is three hours in between. It was like an hour away from my house. So, Anyway, enough with my life story. I was just very busy, but hopefully uh, we're back. I got like an episode planned for tomorrow. Uh, my uh, ranking all the uh, starting quarterbacks one through thirty-two. But for today's episode, which is what you guys are here for, we are going to be uh, kind of discussing Kyrie Irving's timeline. Danny Ainge went on the Toucher and Rich show, and he kind of gave us a real insight, you know, kind of behind the scenes, and kind of helped us put the puzzle pieces together with whole Kyrie Irving timeline situation. You know, he called Kemba Walker and uh, Ennis Cantor uh, plan A. You know, I don't really think any of us believe that, but maybe some of you do. I don't know. And then we're going to talk a bit about Al Horford, but mostly just all of it kind of connects to the Kyrie Irving timeline. So that's what I kind of named it in the title. I think that's what I will end up naming it. Um, And I'm sure that's what you guys saw, but I think all that kind of links to the Kyrie Irving timeline. I'm going to uh, tell you guys what he said, uh, kind of those clips there, and we're going to just discuss that. Then we're going to talk about the Red Sox and their series against the Toronto Blue Jays that they just had uh, r- uh, recently, the four-game series. Chris Sale finally getting a win at Fenway Park. Big, big win. So we're going to get to all that, but first let's start with the Kyrie Irving timeline, so let's get to that. So yesterday, uh, on Thursday, if you're listening Saturday, you know, I apologize for saying yesterday, but on Thursday, I'm recording this Friday. So on Thursday, Danny Ainge won on uh, the 98.5 Sports Hub morning show, uh, Toucher and Rich. Listen to that every once in a while. I did not listen to this live, but I caught it later in the day. Like I heard the news he went on and, you know, he gave some good information. So I decided to take a listen. Now I'm not going to give you guys the clip straight from the radio. I might give you the beginning possibly, but uh, it's just because I already have most of the dialogue here and I'll tell you what they don't say in this dialogue. Just because I feel like if I give you guys the clip, you know, the hosts always just cut in and, you know, it just takes too long. I feel like if I just read it myself, it'll be quicker you know, if you guys, I'm sure most of you already heard him say it live. If you didn't, I apologize for not giving you the clip. I do have it here, but it keeps like, because it'll like pause and then it'll ask like a question that, you know, does not concern you guys. Like, it's nothing that, you know, doesn't concern me. It doesn't really pitch into the, you know, topic that I'm trying to get to. So I, I feel if I read it, it'll just go by quicker. Um, so basically, you know, Danny Ainge, he goes on the Touch and Rich show a lot. Not in the past. I know he has in the past, but not of late. He didn't, so he finally joined them. And at first, this isn't in the dialogue, but I'll just share it. He basically talked about, you know, how Kyrie Irving was very open with him, and how when he went up to that um, press conference with the uh, season ticket holders and told them he wanted to return, that was not pressured by Danny Ainge. That was all him. That was Kyrie's decision. Danny Ainge should not pressure him to do that at all. And I do believe him. I don't think Danny Ainge went up there and said, Kyrie, you got to go tell them that you're going to stay, even if you don't want to. I don't feel like that's something Danny Ainge did, was going to do. I don't believe everything he says here, but uh, we'll get to all that. So first, 
uh, here's the dialogue that they gave us. I just told you what isn't in dialogue, and it says, he had a change of heart, or just had some frustration. I would say it would be the best description, and had less certainty about staying in Boston, Ainge said. Then he rallied against... Then he rallied again and felt like we were doing better. We won 10 out of 11 games leading into the All-Star break. It felt like his and Brad Stevens' relationship was getting better. But he did express to me on a couple of occasions between March and the end of the season, March and April, that he really wanted to go home. I got the impression at that point that he wanted to go play in Brooklyn more than he wanted to play in New York or Boston. Asked... A follow-up of whether that was the moment he knew Irving was leaving, Ainge said, Irving didn't inform me that, that he was gone. He didn't inform me that he didn't like Boston. He didn't inform me that he was go- was for sure gone. He was just like that. He was just like, that's where his heart was. And I think he's going to look into that. But he wanted to take some time and decompress and figure it all out. Ainge later called back into the show to clarify that Irving's desire to play in Brooklyn was more about choosing the Nets over the New York Knicks rather than choosing them over the Celtics. He also said that Irving, despite telling season ticket holders at the TD Garden that if you'll have my back, I, me back, my back, I plan on re-signing here. Never said that directly to him. So basically, when he's... Danny Ainge, I don't know why, he's... Either the grammar's off here when Danny Ainge said it. Basically, what you know, when Kyrie Irving went up and said it, guys, if you have my back, I'll, I'll plan on resigning here. He never even said that to Danny Ainge. And him and Danny Ainge had a good relationship. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, Kyrie's relationship with, you know, Brad Stevens or, you know, like Terry Rozier. They actually had a good relationship. Kyrie was open with Danny Ainge from what we know, and I, don't, I do believe that. I don't feel like Kyrie really had too many problems with Danny Ainge. It was more just their organization in general. I don't think, you know, Brad, Kyrie Irving was just like, oh, Danny, you know, you're such a good guy. But I felt like he was just like, yeah, you're pretty good. I think I can be open with you about most things. Again, he didn't come in and tell him, about that, you know, directly, he never told him directly that he would plan on resigning, but he never told him definitively that he planned to leave either. But that word, he never told Danny directly that he planned on resigning, but he never told him definitively that he planned to leave either. Definitively. Why do we change the word there? Like, you know what? He never said that directly to me. He never told me directly that he was going to stay. But he never definitively told me he's going to leave. Does that mean he dropped in hints like, yeah, I'm going to leave? Like, he never straightforward told me, I plan on leaving. I just got the hint. He did say that, you know, in March, April, which I don't buy. That's just too convenient. You know, right after the trade deadline, I finally got the hint that Kyrie wanted to, you know, he wanted to leave. I, I, you know, right after the trade deadline, I started to get that. Because if, you know, Danny Ainge went out and said, you know, by the time January, December rolled around, I, I started to get the, you know, the red flags that, you know, I think Kyrie wanted to leave. If he said that, then us Boston Celtics fans and the Boston owners would have said, then why didn't you trade him out of here? So that's just to me, like, oh, I started to finally get the the hint that he was leaving right after the trade deadline. No, that's just too convenient for me. And I think we got some hints before 
um, the trade deadline. And yeah, I, I guess that's what he's saying is I started to get the, the memo that, yeah, he's probably out of here by March or April. Maybe we didn't, you know, by January, you know, we weren't like, yeah, he's definitely out of here. But we got the hints. See, I just don't believe that. All right. And it says, quote, unquote, I asked him point blank in the conversations that I had with him. Would you consider returning to Boston? And he always said and he always and he was always saying yes. Ainge said he was always in the frame of mind in that frame of mind. I don't think that he was out the door for sure by then. I think that he was always contemplating all of his options and he was just making sure that he I was saying that he I was saying that he preferred Brooklyn over New York at the moment. That doesn't make sense at all. But anyway, then he called back in the show and said, I'm trying to defend Kyrie here. I think he's been unfairly given responsibility for all the things that went wrong this year. And he said, I think he has some responsibility, as I do, as Brad does, and as does everyone else in that locker room, which is fair. I'll give him that. That's that's a fair point. That it isn't all, you know, Kyrie like we're saying. I don't think I sat here saying it's all Kyrie. I remember I made a blame pie. It was like my ninth or tenth episode I've ever done months ago. It was like early March I made a blame pie for the Lakers and Celtics because they were both being disappointing. And Kyrie took a big chunk of that pie. But I also had like Gordon Hayward was on there. Uh, Brad Stevens was on there. I think some of the young guys were on there. So yeah, that those kinds of guys, but we have more, you know, uh, you know, more evidence, more puzzle pieces now. And Danny Ainge, I think he went pretty, you know, good, well in detail here. But I don't believe him when he sits here, like says again, that's too convenient. March around March or April, like right after the trade deadline, because if he sits here again and says January, December, I, you know, December, January, I start to get the hint he's probably going to leave. Then why didn't you trade him? Then again. I do give him, you know, props, cap space. Cap space is huge uh, in the NBA, and it, it does matter. So, you know, maybe when he sat here, you know, Danny Ainge sat here and said, you know, March or April, and let's say he did say December and January. You know, December and January, I started to get the hint he wanted to leave, but I didn't trade him. He would have the excuse of saying, one, you know, maybe not on air, but just to the or you know the owners. If the owner said, "Why didn't you drink? Why didn't you trade him?" If you got that hint, he could have sat there and said, "Well, for one, that would have been a horrible look for us to have these high expectations. Trade Kyrie, you know, sign Gordon Hayward with him, have these really high expectations, and then just blow it up because we failed for the first few months of the season." I, you know, Danny should sit there and just say it would be a bad look. We have too much talent. Let's just sit here, roll the dice, and hope it works out. And second of all, he could have sat there and said also cap space. Because if we traded Kyrie, we would have had to take a pretty big contract on as well. And I'd rather save up that cap space to spend on in this big free agency market or, you know, spend, um, spend on these young guys. Because if we do keep Kyrie, we could, you know... I guess that kind of goes along with my first point. Because, uh, you know, let's say the season, you know, ends up working out. Kyrie stays. That kind of goes along with my first point. My second point is, yeah, even if Kyrie leaves, if we swap him one for one, now all of a sudden, you know, it's probably going to be someone on more than a one-year deal, unlike Kyrie, although Kyrie did have an option, but he, he obviously declined it. But, you know, he could, I guess, what 
I'm trying to say is the cap space. If you trade Kyrie, you're gonna have to take on all, you know, almost another 30 mil. Right? Well, Kyrie's contract I think was like around 21 mil, so you're gonna have to take on around that amount of money. Um, so I guess that's where I'm trying to get at the cap space. So even if he knew, I mean, we know the Clippers called and said, "Is Kyrie available a day before the trade deadline, or somewhere between that then?" Hours before the deadline, sometime then, the Clippers called and said, hey, is Kyrie available? So when people sit here and say, well, yeah, maybe if Danny Ainge was aware that Kyrie was out the door, who's going to take, you know, Kyrie Irving? They knew it was going to come out of price. So what are you going to take on Kyrie Irving, you know, just to have him leave? Well, no, teams were interested in Kyrie Irving. We know the Clippers called the Celtics and said, is Kyrie available? The Clippers obviously felt that they could re-sign Kyrie Irving. Um, they probably want to pair him with a Kevin Durant. I think at the time, the Raptors were doing pretty good. You know, they obviously thought they had a shot at Kawhi, maybe Kyrie and Ka- Kyrie Irving and Kawhi Leonard. They just wanted to give themselves options. They felt like, if we can sit here, trade for Kyrie Irving right now, we think we'll have a shot at resigning him. He obviously likes Doc Rivers. We have the cap space to get him Kevin Durant or Kawhi Leonard. And we feel like if we get Kyrie Irving, he'd be a nice sweetener. And, you know, he could lure a Kevin Durant in or a Kawhi Leonard, especially Kevin Durant. Because at that time, that was right around the All-Star break when him and KD were really close and linked together. So if all of a sudden the Clippers make that trade and get Kyrie Irving... KD, you know, and he decides to resign with the Clippers. KD's probably in LA with the Clippers right now. Kawhi's probably with the Lakers right now. Paul George is God knows where. So, I mean, he might be still in OKC because, you know, Kawhi would never contacted him. And so all this stuff kind of happens. But so teams were interested. But I think Danny Ainge decided it would just be a bad look. And let's decide to play it out. We have a lot of talent. Hopefully, it all meshed together by the playoff time. By the time the playoffs come, and it just didn't. It just didn't. So, you know, that was a bad look. And then the plan A thing. So, on when I believe it was Wednesday. Yeah, I believe it was Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday, I think. The day Kemba and Ennis Cantor came in. He signed them. So, you know, they had their, you know, interview, press conference, whatever. You know, coming into Boston, introduced to Boston, and he said, This was the plan A all along. <laughs> what, the plan A after plan F? I mean, there's no way this was plan A. So I just want to throw that one out there because I don't want people to sit here and actually buy that. Which I don't think most of you do, but for those of you who do, let me explain why this is total baloney. First of all, Plan A was Kyrie Irving and Anthony Davis. Danny Ainge has been making moves for years now, stashing assets, making moves to acquire Anthony Davis. Kyrie Irving was supposed to be that second star that would draw interest from Anthony Davis and help this whole Anthony Davis thing work because he knew Kyrie Irving would be a great second option along Anthony Davis. He knew Kyrie and Anthony Davis were friends, and he knew that would draw interest from Rich Paul and Anthony Davis to come to Boston, having that second superstar, having that friend in Kyrie Irving. Plan B was Kyrie and Gordon Hayward. Okay, that was plan B. Signing Gordon Hayward was supposed to be like that third wheel. He was supposed to be like that third star because 
you know, Anthony Davis and Kyrie Irving would definitely compete for a championship if they worked together. You add Gordon Hayward, that's awesome. That is absolutely incredible. You know, an incredible piece to add to that puzzle. Or he could be a trade chip if he continues to succeed, and that's like if that's something you really need to do. Plan C was kind of that plan, like if Gordon Hayward doesn't return from his injury, it would be Kyrie and Al Horford. Plan D was probably Kyrie Irving and Jason Tatum. If all of a sudden we sat here, they couldn't get Anthony Davis. Gordon Hayward, uh, he just didn't, you know, return from his injury. But Al Horford ended up leaving or, you know, age just caught the best of him. And we kind of feel like Jason Tatum. I, I don't know. That one's kind of just like, you know, who's better, Al Horford Jason Tatum. Ennis Cantor in Kemba Walker was never on the agenda. It was never on the agenda. Okay? That was just a nice fallback plan. Like, oh, we missed out on, you know, Kyrie left, Al Horford left. We're kind of just a young team here, sitting with a lot of young players. Uh, oh, Kemba's available. Let's let's get him. He'll be nice. You know, you know, he's not as good as Kyrie, but he should be a better fit. You know, he again, he's not as good as Kyrie. Maybe eighty percent of Kyrie Irving skill wise, but he'll be a better fit. He'll still help us compete. We won't be a champion, a title contender. You know, Ennis Cantor is another piece. You know, we like this guy. He's a good offensive big man. Uh, we'll throw him on the roster, too. This was a good fallback plan, but it was never, never on the agenda. Never not, nine plan A. So when you traded for Kyrie Irving, did you do that? So are you telling me, you know, going into this season, the plan was to put, put all these guys together just so that way they wouldn't work out, so that way Kyrie would leave, Al Horford would leave, and eventually just to go out and get Kemba and Ennis Cantor. That was the plan. That was the plan two weeks ago when you found it. That was the plan three weeks ago when you found out Al Horford was leaving alongside Kyrie and you found out you actually have a good shot at Kemba Walker. And I think you felt you had a pretty good shot at Ennis Cantor anyway, but... That was three weeks ago when you found out Al Horford's gone along with Kyrie and you felt, wow, we actually might have a good shot at Kemba here. So that was not plan A all along. That was all of a sudden became the plan three weeks ago. Danny Ainge also said he didn't know Kemba Walker was coming to Boston until, what, like July 1st? Like, I think he said, I think what he said was like hours before he signed. Which is obviously bluff. He he doesn't actually mean that. He's just doing it to avoid tampering. So if you're like, Aiden, you forgot to add in that. No, he's just avoiding tampering. That's not against Danny Ainge at all. I'm glad he actually said that because now he'll avoid uh, tampering charges. Because if all of a sudden he sat here and said, yeah, we knew a week before Kemba was coming. Tampering, you're, you're charged with that. So that wouldn't have been a very good thing. But on Al Horford. He also talked about Al Horford on Toucher and Rich. Uh, here's what he said. Let me find it. All right. He said, it's a different era. I can't imagine that would have ever happened in my time of playing, if you remember Danny Ainge used to play. But it's different. It's a different world that we live in. It doesn't seem to be those kind of same rivalries. There's rivalries with the fans, but sometimes not as much with the players. You obviously see some like Russ and Joel Embiid. LeBron and KD, I think they got a little something there, although they both respect each other as players, especially LeBron to KD. But 
There, that's true. That is honestly true. There are not a ton of uh, player v player rivalries like there was maybe back in the day. Larry Bird, Magic Johnson. There aren't as many of those rivalries. You know, we kind of just make up rivalries as fans and the fan bases. You know, become rivals. It's not really with the players. It's not it's, no. Horford's potential departure was not talked about much during the season. Many people assumed that he would stay, either by exercising his player option or by declining it and signing a new long-term contract with Boston. That's what we all thought. A month ago, maybe, you know, 40 days ago, we heard the news he might decline his player option just to sign a you know, more long-term deal. I wonder if that was honestly true. I still don't count out that that was true because that that wasn't true. I'm you know, Whatever. I guess what I'm trying to say is when he was, you know, when we first heard he might decline the player option, the report was he would just decline to sign a long-term deal. I still don't count that out. I still don't count that out. I just think at the end of the day, uh, he sat there and said, yeah, I'd like to sign, you know, if I'm declining my player option, maybe I'll take a bit of a pay cut for the team, but I'll still get, you know, a good chunk of money. But at the same time, I think he was hearing offers from Philly and then he heard, I, I, I actually, the more I think about it, I don't have much of a much of a case for that. I honestly think the reports were incorrect at that point. I, now I think about it, incorrect. Scratch what I just said that last minute. All right, no, Ainge said. I think that Al, he really likes to play the four more than the five. No, no, no. All right, I'll just read the rest of the quote. Then I'll start going off. He liked playing more with he liked playing with Aaron Baines. He didn't mind playing some five, but he prefers to play the four, and I think that going to Philly will allow him to be exclusively at the four. I don't buy that a player left because he, uh, of his position. Okay, I know Anthony Davis was a little, you know, it, actually he got to yeah he got to play some four, I guess, in New Orleans. Julius Randle played the five, slid over at the five sometimes, but. I think this played such a minor factor. This is Danny Ainge trying to cover up the fact that you we looked at it, it. Al Horford, when he left, that was a horrible look for the Celtics. We sat here and said, all right, well, Al Horford's leaving alongside Kyrie Irving. This is a pretty bad report for the Celtics organization. Are they kind of dysfunctional? Looks like a place you're not going to want to go to. Danny Ainge, I think this was a bit of a cover-up act. Like, no, you know, he liked it in Boston. He just left because, you know, he didn't feel like he would have been able to play the four here as much. You're not going to leave because, you know, you get to play a different you know, position the four instead of the five. That's not ultimately why you decide to leave a franchise, you know, relocate, move your whole family just because you can play a little bit of a different position. And even in Philly, yeah, he'll get to play the four when Joel Embiid is healthy. Joel Embiid tends to miss about 20 to 30 games a season. Uh, so, you know, that's 20 to 30 games right there at the five. And I do want I do think Al Horford enjoys the four a bit more than the five. There's a reason Aaron Baines was in the starting lineup rather than, you know, Jalen Brown or Gordon Hayward at times. There's a reason for that. Because Al Horford like playing the four. Maybe you want to go bigger in general anyway. But I, I just look at it 
And I just don't think that would be a good reason at all for Al Horford to leave because he wanted to play the four more than the five. No, no, that's not why he left at all. I think that might have played a little factor, but at the end of the day, that's a cover-up act by Brad Stevens. Maybe it's something Al Horford threw in, like, yeah, you were great, and then maybe Danny and Jay, why'd you leave? And that was, you know, one small reason. Like, yeah, I also thought it was a good opportunity to play a little bit more four than the five. That's just like a little add-on sentence, like... You know, it's just a little reason in the big picture, and he decided to pick that out because it would be a good cover-up act. I don't believe that was the main reason he left. The main reason he's left because, right, one, Philly is probably willing to give him more money. Uh, I think Danny Ainge should say in the interview, I, you know, the money was there, but at the same time, I do think Philly was able, willing to give him a little more. I think Philly seemed appealing to him. Uh, it seemed like a team that was on the rise. The Celtics seemed like a team maybe on a bit of a decline to Al Horford, maybe in his eyes. Uh, that That's kind of what I got out of it. Uh, but no, I mean, even just out of this whole interview, not even with Al Horford, just Kyrie Irving too. Danny Ainge knew. It's clear. He told us he knew he's probably going to leave. And when we saw, I think I, I started to get this gist, when we saw the offense kind of change and Gordon Hayward's minutes start to ramp up and the offense kind of go through him, I think that was Brad Stevens trying to change the leadership and swing it over to Gordon Hayward and just start early. Because I think Brad Stevens sat there and knew Kyrie was gone. I honestly, that's kind of what I've came to because people, we were talking about why is Gordon Hayward getting so many minutes. Yeah, we know Brad Stevens likes him and... They have a connection in that, um, you know, you want him to come back. And the only way for him to really come back to close to his old form is to give him minutes and let him, you know, return to his old self through minutes on the court. But why was he running the offense so much? That will obviously help his development back to what he used to be. But so much. Why isn't it being run through Kyrie? I think they want to switch the leader role. A leadership role. Obviously, Kemba will probably be the leader of the offense, but at the time, you didn't really know you were going to Kemba. You figured we're going to lose Kyrie. You know, you can't. We're not really going to run the offense through Al Horford. You know, Tatum, Brown. No, you know what, Brad Stevens. You like Hayward. He's a veteran. We want a veteran to run this offense, and we feel he can get back to his All Star potential and potentially be the best player on this team. He's a veteran too. We feel we can run the offense through him. And he'll be the leader. I think that was a leadership role. He was trying to, you know, sway the leadership over to Gordon Hayward and just start early so you didn't have to start at the beginning of the year because he knew Kyrie had one foot out the door. That's also why the young players didn't listen to Kyrie because everyone in Boston knew that Kyrie Irving was gone. That's why guys like Jalen Brown, you know, wouldn't listen to him when, you know, we tried to tell him what to do. Why are you trying to critique my game when you already have one foot out the door? You know, you're already basically halfway in Brooklyn or New York or wherever you're going. You're barely even here anymore. You're just playing in a Celtic uniform, but your mind's on a different team. You're not here. Why are you trying to tell me what to do? So I think that's kind of where that came from. That's kind of where the struggle was. If, you know, Kyrie kept it secret, I, I guess that's kind of hard, but... I don't know. I, I don't know. I guess it was hard for him to kind of keep that secret, you know... He could have just kind of sucked it up and, you know, been a better leader and acted like he at least somewhat enjoyed it here. But I guess it was going to come out one way or another to the players. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say. But that's the timeline for Kyrie Irving. It was just Kyrie Irving was really that big move. 
That was that was a big move in the puzzle to try to get Anthony Davis. I I want to write an article honestly when I was started to um, talk about this. I said I want to write an article about how the Celtics, all these moves they made, and how it was leading up to getting Anthony Davis, and how it never even happened. I'm gonna write an article about that soon. I can't promise it. I haven't started it. Just came up with the idea, but I do want to do that. Do look for that in a future episode. Uh, you know, probably not like tomorrow or anything, but soonish. Hopefully, I'd like to do that. That would be a fun article to write. Uh, but yeah, that's the Kyrie Irving timeline. Because with Danny Ainge coming out, I think this is an appropriate time to kind of talk about that little timeline with Kyrie Irving. You know, what happened? He gave us more pieces to the puzzle. You know, maybe we'll hear reports over the ne- you know these next few months, maybe even the next few years. Maybe when Kyrie retires, he'll be asked the question. He'll give us even more information. But I feel like we just got a big chunk uh, out of the whole Kyrie thing. And I know you know some of it was about Kemba and Anis Cantor, some of it was about Al Horford. But I think they all link to the whole Kyrie Irving situation. I mean, Kemba probably not here if you don't get Kyrie. And I mean. It would have been great to see you trade for Chris Stapps. I'd probably rather have Chris Stapps than Kemba because, you know, they didn't give up a whole lot for Chris Stapps. And I feel like, you know, the potential you cry could have gave up Kyrie Irving for Chris Stapps for Zingas, which would have been awesome. But I'm not sure you would have been able to get Kemba Walker. But at the same time, I'd probably rather have Chris Stapps, you know, assuming he comes back healthy just because he's, you know, a younger player. Right now, I'd rather have Kemba. If I'm going win now, this upcoming year, I'm, I'll take Kemba Walker. But if I'm going to base it off, you know, a long stretch of time for the Celtics team, I'm going with Kristaps. But at the same time, also, the Celtics team likes to run it through point guards. Isaiah Thomas, Kyrie Irving, they like to run teams. I know they wanted Anthony Davis to, you know, run the team through. But from what we've seen, Brad Stevens as well with the, I mean, not, granted, not Kyrie, but even like Evan Turner. He's, you know, more of a sixth man, but you helped him get like 18 mil in Portland. 17 mil, that's right around that, you know, that amount. So, obviously, he does well with point guards. They probably want to run a system through point guards. So, uh, but I would have liked Chris Stapps. Like, Kyrie for Chris Stapps straight up would have been awesome. i sure there was some way to get uh, Kemba Walker as well in that. You know, they did sign and trade for him, um, technically. So, they didn't sign Chris uh, Kemba, but they did technically sign and trade for him. So, I'm sure there was some way to get, you know, Kyrie for Chris Stapps and then, um, also get Kemba Walker as well, but I'm just not sure how it would work. The salary cap just can give you a headache. So anyway, that's the Kyrie Irving timeline. So now we're going to touch up on the Boston Red Sox. So let's get to that. All right. So the Red Sox, uh, taking three of four against the Toronto, uh, Blue Jays in Boston, uh, bouncing back after that Dodger series out of the, uh, all-star break. It was a good series, solid series. Chris Sale, though, over a year since his last win at Fenway. That was a scary stat. I think I talked think I talked about this last time we talked about the Red Sox. And just how he's running out of excuses. And he, he even said so. He's running out of excuses. He's being a liability for the team. At least he's owning up to it and not making excuses like David Price and Kyrie Irving did. But at least he's owning up to it. But still, he was. He was really struggling. I mean, I backed him up at the beginning of the year. But it's like, all right, it's time for sale. And again, he had like that rocky start where he struck out 17. And they still lost. Like, what can you do about that? The relievers came in. I think they let up like four runs. Your bats only scored like twice. So 
There's nothing you can really do about that one. Uh, in yesterday's game, though, I do want to throw Thomas Pannone on the other team. This year's I found a little creepy. I don't know why. This kind of stuff always happens to me. I just watched him pitch four days before this game. On Nesson, all of a sudden, the pot, the Red Sox AAA team was facing the Blue Jays AAA team. I saw this guy pitch. He's mowing him down. Like, he looked pretty good. I was like, hmm. And then now he's pitching. I was like, why does this kind of stuff happen to me? Uh, that was just really weird. Because, you know, again, I think the guy hadn't pitched since like 2017 or 2018. You know, 2018 is not really a long time. But why is he called up the second I finally, you know, watched this guy play? It was just really weird. And then face my Red Sox. Really weird. He didn't do this so hot. But Chris Sale was like the big story of the day. Six innings, two hits, two walks, 12 strikeouts. He really fan, you know. He really, you know, punched them out all day long. Only six outs were had to be made by the fielders. And Alexander Bogarts to make that great play at shortstop. That was an incredible, incredible play. Um, and then Walden comes in two innings, strikes out one, does a good job. Darwin's in Hernandez. Hernandez comes in, gets the job done in the last inning. Uh, the one, uh, the other part I just want to throw. You know, Betts had the home run, but Devers. Devers, this bat, this guy's so good. And the Blue Jays have tried, been trying all year to try to get, find out a way to stop Devers. Because Devers, as much as Devers has had a great year and was snubbed to the All Star game, I mean, the guy is hitting 325 this season. It's absolutely hitting bomb after bomb after bomb. But they went out and he's, you know, done so good against them. They went out, the pitching coach went out, two men on. I think it was. At the time, I believe it was Betts and Leon. Leon had the RBI that hit in Sam Travis, and then Mookie Betts came in, and I believe he singled. So he singled or he walked. I think he might have walked. And then Devers came in, and they were just like, all right, all right. They came in. Travis, uh, Thomas Manone was still on the mound, and they're just like, they talk. I don't know what they said. And then Devers goes out against the wind and hits a absolute bomb. Against the wind, three-run shot. That kind of blew open the game. Then you have the Betts home run in the seventh. So, I just found that a little funny. The guy's been a beast all year. But, yeah, that was huge for Chris Sale. That win yesterday was not only huge for the Red Sox to win that series and get that win, because every win at this point really means a lot, but for Chris Sale... You know, this is a guy who's owned up and said, you know, I'm being a liability. And, you know, I don't know if it's, you know, the shoulder still bothering him because his fastball, you know, the miles per hour on his fastball has gone down a bit. I don't know if the shoulder's still bothering him a little. Or, you know, he just got the check. He just got the big, you know, the big money, the big time check, and he just cashed out after that. He was just like, all right, I got my money. I'm done. You know, really trying. But I don't feel like that's the type of guy Chris Sale is just because – you know, again, he doesn't carry himself that way. Maybe he is deep down, but again, he's owning up to, you know, his mistakes. He said, there's no liability. You know, I'm a liability for the team. No more excuses. I got to go out and play well. And then he d- goes out and plays really well. So I do think at first, you know, it was a bit of a, you know, you know they were loose with the shoulder problem. I think that hurt him at the beginning. Uh, World Series hangover. You got the big check in your pocket. 
But now there's no really more excuses. He realized that, and he went out there and pitched well. Am I ready to say Chris Sale has turned the corner? No, of course not. I don't I do not do that after one game. He pitched well, but I'm not ready to do that. He faced the Blue Jays. Given he pitched well, I need more evidence. I need much, much more evidence. Of, you know, give him a few more starts. I'm not, I'm never gave up on, I never gave up on Chris Sale, but I'm not ready to say he turned the corner. Uh, like I think uh, almost everyone else, I don't think anyone really thinks Chris Sale's turned the corner at this point. Because we can't just sit here and base our analysis off one game. You know, if he has one good game, that could possibly mean he's turned the corner, but we can't say he is just yet. Uh, and then the other guy I want to get to, Andrew Kashner. I do want to get to David Price in a minute, but Kashner had his debut on Tuesday when the uh, Red Sox only lost of the series. They lost 10-4. to Kashner uh, tossed five innings, eight hits allowed, five earned runs, two walks, two strikeouts. I do believe he had three walks. Uh, it says two walks here. I thought he hit a batter. He hit, um, what's his face, uh, Jansen on the other team, their catcher. But I'm pretty sure he had two walks and a hit batter. So I'm pretty sure it was three walks. But anyway, uh, it wasn't a very good start for Andrew Kasher. They hit him pretty well. Uh, he, he was rough. He got two strikeouts. You're not going to get a whole lot from him. You know, four on average, only two that day. But it was a rough, rough outing for Kasher. Then you got Josh Taylor, Colton Brewer, Darwin's in Hernandez, Heath Hembry, and Ryan Weber having to come in. And all pitching inning, Hembry couldn't even get an out. But, you know, so then you, you know, exhaust the bullpen. But Kasher does seem like a pretty good locker room guy. I, I wouldn't consider him a leader. I don't think he's ever really been a locker room leader, especially in a place where he's brand new. But he seems like he, you know, he's a pretty you know, good guy in general. That should lift the spirits of the clubhouse a bit. I, so I, I do like that part of him. He seems like a pretty good guy. Like on the bench, he's always clapping for his teammates, even though he's brand new. He feels like you know, he's, he's a good comfortable, like not too comfortable and cocky, but he seems like he's coming across as like comfortable. He already likes the guys. So that that's obviously good news, but it was a rough outing for uh, Kashner there. But the last guy I want to get to is David Price. The the uh, stuff with Dennis Eckersley uh I think I have a pretty good idea on why he's doing this because, again, he didn't have to bring this up. He could have sat there and said, you know, he's moved on and whatnot from this whole thing with Denner's Eckersley. And said he's, I think he's really just doing this just to get himself out of Boston. Because in the past, that's worked in Boston. If you don't want to be here, instead of Boston just keeping you there to make you suffer, if you don't want to be there and it's the best move for the team to trade you, they will trade you. So David Price, I think, recognizes that and wants to do this to get out of here. He's talked about if the team struggles, we might have possible trades and kind of stuff like this. And I just don't think he wants to – He just, I just don't think he wants to be there. He, I think, accepted his player option. You know, people are going to sit here and say, yeah, well, Aiden, he accepted his player option. And I'm going to sit there and say, yeah, uh, whoever, whatever your name is, he accepted his player option because there's no way he was going to get that money on the market. He was not worth that. I know he's pitched well this year, but he's not worth the money. Uh, at the time, he was not worth the money uh, that he would have got on his player option if he you know, declined that player option. He wouldn't have got that on free ag- in free agency. I mean, this season, he's pitched well. He's 7-2. He's got a 3.16 ERA in 17 uh, games and starts 88.1 innings pitched. 
Uh, 78 hits allowed, 102 strikeouts, only 24 walks. So he's been playing well. But last season, he was 16 and 7, which isn't bad. But granted, the Red Sox had very good bats. The uh, bullpen was much better. So, again, the win loss to me, it's an overrated stat in baseball because. So many times a pitcher will go out there and you can let up five runs and still win the ball game. And you can let up one run and still lose. So that's why the win-loss thing to me is just overrated when it comes to pitchers. He did only you know have a 3.58 ERA, but he didn't pitch that great last year, really. He just didn't. He wasn't fantastic that year. And even this year, his contract is huge. It's like 20-something. It's in. It's it's a huge contract. Even if he went into the market right now, he wouldn't be worth the money he's getting. He could not decline that money. So I think what he did is said he sat here and said, "All right, I'll take my player option. I'll get the money, and then I'll just go out there, cause a scene, and get myself traded." So I get the best of both worlds. I get the money, and I get a new destination. I get the money, and I don't have to be in Boston because at the time it was. You can take this money, but you have to stay in Boston, or you can take a pay cut to go somewhere you actually want to be. So instead he sits here and says, all right, I'll take the money, play a little bit in Boston, and then get myself traded. And I'll pitch well. I'll go out there and actually pitch well to help my value on the market so that way teams will will actually be willing to take me on. I do think if you're the Red Sox, you're probably going to have to eat some money here, about 8 to 12 mil at least. I don't want to eat too much money, especially because I feel like as high as the payroll we have, we already are spending a lot of money, and we're going to have to spend some on guys like Benintendi, Devers, uh, you name it, on on this roster. JBJ, if we decide to keep him. So we've got some young guys we're going to have to pay. And we're already paying a lot of guys like bets. Well, we're going to have to pay bets if we want to keep them very soon. Uh, you look at J.D. Martinez on no small contract. Um, David Price, but you'd be trading him. Chris Sale. Even Chavis, who you're going to have to pay at some point. But you're, you're already paying Chris Sale and J.D. Martinez, I mean. You're already paying Bogarts a pretty good amount of money, too. So it'll be interesting to see. But I think the more money you eat, the better prospects you get. That's kind of the thing in the MLB. So, And this team does not have very good prospects. I think I said it on the last episode. I looked at the top 100 MLB prospects. They had one. He was like 95th. So take that for what it's worth. You traded all your prospects to go and win now. David Price is your best pitcher. So do I want to trade David Price if the price is right? I didn't mean that. Like, but I'm crashed. No, I didn't. I didn't mean that to be like a joke, a pun, whatever. I, I honestly mean if the price is right, if you can get a solid uh, amount back and you're eating a contract, you know, that'll actually maybe help you a little. You know, I'll, I'll take it just because at this point, David Price is your best pitcher this year. If you're going the wild card game, David Price is probably going to be pitching for you, which I hate to say because I don't, I still don't really trust David Price and I feel like. He might throw the game. Like, no, I don't want to say that, but he's not a guy that I would think would give 100% effort for the team. If Chris Sale is actually turning a corner, maybe he'd be your pitcher, but right now you don't really have a lot of starting pitching. You know, I'm not sure what Cash is really going to do for you. Sale's struggling. Orsello's been awful this year. So at this point, you kind of have to have David Price because your pitching hasn't done so hot and he's been your best pitcher. But if the price is right and, you know, then, you know, I, I do consider trading him. But if you're going to give him up just to give him up because, you know, he's being annoying and the price, you know, you don't get as much as you really could have for him, then I don't like it. Because as much as, you know, he is a pain, if you want to win, you're going to have to keep David Price unless you're getting a good amount back. 
That's how I look at it. If this team is seriously win now, they got to bite their tongue, stick with David Price at least for the rest of the season, unless they get a good deal back for him. That's how I look at it. So that's going to wrap up today's episode. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it again. Stay alert tomorrow. Like 99% sure we're going to be talking about um, ranking the quarterbacks 1 through 30. Odds are there's going to be some like. You know, Bradley Beal's going to end up like, getting traded like out of the blue. If they're going to trade him, it would probably be soon. I, I don't know. It's, it's something like that's going to happen just to ruin my agenda. But I seriously am hoping to do that for tomorrow's episode. It's going to be fun. I'm in the middle of making the list right now. I think I'm at number 10. So I just got to do, you know, 1 through 10. I've already got the rest figured out. So it should be uh, pretty fun. Go follow my Instagram at After the Buzzer Sports Talk. Uh, all lowercase, no spaces. Again, that's at After Buzzer Sports Talk. All lowercase, no spaces. That's to keep updated with my podcast schedule. I know one thing that's wrong with this podcast is that's not wrong, but like, you know, not really a plus is I have an inconsistent schedule. I don't have like a set schedule, which I know kind of annoys some of you guys. So if it does, and you'll get alerts right away on the any, you know, podcast app or whatever you listen to. If you don't get the notification right away, go follow my Instagram because right after I post the podcast, I post on there pretty much all the time. Every once in a while, I'll be late, but that's like only happened like twice. So yeah, I'm pretty good with it. And I also do some like collabs on there. Like right now, me and uh, Thomas from the Tip Off are doing a top 25 NBA players collab. So you can check out like some cool stuff like that and uh, keep updated with my inconsistent schedule. So yeah, thank you guys for listening, and I hope to see you guys next time.